Alright, so hello everyone and welcome to today's episode of The Sorted Skeptics. Today is going to be a bit more of a somber episode as we're going to be talking a little bit about the downfall of Western civilization and some of the existential threats that exist therein. Now in the last episode we did discuss some of the things that we love about Western civilization that we would like to see pres like preserved, and now we, what I'd like to talk a little bit about is some of the threats to that and what might interfere with it. So, Tim, are we all set and good to go? Yeah, let's do it. I'm right. ready. <laughs> then uh, first up, politically correct culture, the erasing of history, and the oppressive lens. So this is a narrative that's being pushed, well, primarily by the left and the media, in an attempt to alter the way we see the world. So politically correct culture is the kind of restriction of the Overton window, which allows us to talk about or not talk about certain topics. The erasing, or I guess in some cases the rewriting of history. Mm-hmm through an oppressive lens, which I guess is sort of a Marxist principle, where we divide everybody up into the oppressed and the oppressors. It's a pretty yeah. simplified way of looking at the world, and I guess you could apply that to anything, but it has no relationship with reality or truth or anything like that, and I think it's completely disingenuous and intellectually and morally bankrupt. Yeah, I mean, I think it's very oversimplified, for sure. And, yeah, it's... um. It, yeah, it puts people into, you know, either two groups and, um, you know, this is something that Peterson has kind of pretty much brought to light over his, um, his speeches about postmodernism post and cultural Marxism, right? And um, it's, it's almost like there's almost an inability to, like, handle certain truths and facts like they're so offensive in a way that hate facts <laughs> you know, these are facts that are that are hateful somehow. yeah and the truth burns at times as we uh i think as anyone can agree right yeah and... the, the truth can definitely be uh be a painful experience for, for anyone going through it so uh it, it's definitely not going to hold your hand and, and care about your feelings and I'd say what really pisses me off is that um, there's this constant blame of current generation of white people of for the past mistakes that maybe our ancestors made or people not even really related to us yeah, exactly. centuries ago. Yeah, and, and, and it's just so irrational to me. Yeah, right? and it's it's sort of like uh, a sort of collective guilt by association. Which I, mm. I can only imagine is probably the most racist thing you could possibly do, right? Right, right. It's, it's sort of like saying, well, if if you're not allowed to say, I don't know, make an assessment of someone's character based on their racial group, why does that only apply if it's a white person? You know? Yeah, yeah. It completely takes away any specific individual characteristics, and it just makes a very extremely broad stroke <laughs> on a huge group of people and to me it's just insane and these are ideas that are being propagated today and it's been like and and it's been they've been propagated in universities and academia for probably at least the last 20 years even more so yeah i would say right and uh i like how tucker carlson kind of he stood up to this. He's had guests that he's, you know, talked to about this and, you know, really stuck to his guns, which are really Yeah, and I, and I think it's one of those situations where it's like if you apologize to the mob, you're just sticking your, your neck in the guillotine. 
Because right. it, it's sort of a, a damned if you do, damned if you don't. I think uh, Chris Cuomo, the, the dumber of the Cuomo brothers somehow, <laughs> basically went after him and said, gave him the sort of catch-22, where it's like, well, you either admit what you did was wrong, and that therefore like you're admitting you're a horrible person, or you don't admit what you did was wrong, and therefore you're a horrible person because you won't admit yeah, it. Yeah, right, So right. There, there's really no out. So there's no point in, in apologizing to the mob. And what would you be apologizing to them for? Who did you wrong? The people that are trying to slander you? Come on, give me a break. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think what this is doing, this is an attempt, a conscious effort to drive a wedge between the groups of society in order to bring it down. Whether this is a conscious effort or an unconscious effort, I don't know, it's hard to say. But, I mean, look at the results. We, uh, we're we filming, uh, or I guess recording this, uh, just after the recent mass shooting in New mm-hmm. Zealand, which I guess it does kind of hit close to home for me because my parents are currently in New Zealand on vacation. Wow. For- fortunately, they're uh, about nine hours away, so mm-hmm. completely unrelated. But it's still, it's one of these kind of situations where if you allow the, the identitarians to win and you allow them to take these concepts far enough, then... I think violence is an inevitable result. I mean, what's what else is going to happen if you if you suppress people's ability to discuss ideas? You know, and that's exactly what this shooter wanted. He wants a civil war. Mm-hmm. What better way to cause a civil war than to, I guess, push right on society's hot buttons? Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And so, in committing one of the most heinous acts a human being could commit. I mean, he has a whole manifesto of exactly what he wants to get out of it. And he has contradictions and all sorts of things in there where people can read into it exactly what they want to read into it. You know, he he claims that, oh, well, I like Trump in one part. And then he says he hates Trump in another part. So he's going to allow confirmation bias to uh, basically dictate people's responses to that. So if, you know, if you already are on the hate Trump side, then it's going to fall in line with that belief anyway. Right. And if, uh, if you're not... Well, uh, no big deal, right? <laughs> so people will get out of it what they want to get out of it, but I think it's uh, it's disingenuous. Yeah, absolutely. To sort of say that, well, this was this was his motivation, and it's like, well, it's kind of convenient that his motivation happens to coincide with your political beliefs and what you hate as well, or what you love. And it's like, if everybody is looking at the same set of facts and coming to completely different conclusions, I think we have a pretty serious problem on our hands. You know, absolutely. And in a way, that's kind of uh, this leads it'll we'll talk a bit about this later on, but it's what in a way postmodernism postmodernism recognizes is like that an event or an idea or a book can be interpreted in a million different ways essentially. And yeah, and no one way is any better than any one. Yeah, it's, it's all completely equal. Yeah, which is kind of nonsense, right? Because there's only so many interpretations of reality that are going to actually be functional. Yeah, but they and, don't care about reality anyway. No, because there's so. no such thing as reality. <laughs> or know? objectivity. Or, or yeah. truth, which is yeah. a true statement. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's such an inherently self-contradictory ideology, but yeah. I don't know, I think maybe what it started out of, it was a fairly reasonable critique of Western culture. Mm-hmm. We're sort of saying, okay, well, maybe what we are becoming is a bunch of consumerist, materialist drones that just consume, 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 work, 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 consume, and it's all meaningless. It's like, oh, fair enough. You know, I can kind of see how yeah. you could perceive it that way when, you know, you're looking at a, a lineup of people who've been lining up for three days in the rain and the snow for, to get a new mm-hmm. iPhone or something like that. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, then you look at that and you're like, okay, so you literally had nothing in your life that was more important for three days (laughs) that this was the the, the choice you made, right? It's like you you just got to have that latest gadget so you're going to waste 72 hours of your life to make sure that you're one of the first people that gets it. I mean, it's not like you couldn't just wait two weeks and order it online and wait for them to ship it to you or anything like that. No, you got to be like one of the first people. So for me, Mm -hmm. it's almost like maybe that's a status thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, I yeah. Can, and, I, and it's kind of hard for me to imagine because, I mean, I don't really encounter a lot of people like that. So where it's sort of like, you know, give me attention and acceptance because of this thing I have. I'd probably just like kind of shrug my shoulder and say, well, you know, that's nice. You know? <laughs> it's like cool. Yeah, 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 that's a, it's, like, it's, it's a nice phone or whatever. It is, but, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't, uh, don't expect any credit for yeah. being a virtuous person for owning it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, how much, how much effort does it take to swipe a credit card? I mean, come on. Exactly. I, maybe maybe people should be more proud of accomplishments rather than material possessions. I don't know. Uh, so I think uh, what else we have in this oppressive lens and this rewriting of history, we have this inability to handle truths and facts because they are quite painful. Like maybe that new iPhone isn't actually going to change your life for the better. Like they marketed to you? <laughs> yeah. And, and you know what? I, I don't even think the marketing is even... like. When I think back to the commercials of the 80s and 90s and like they were selling you a lifestyle and it was quite evident in the commercial. Yeah. Uh-huh. But now it's just sort of like pictures and music and sound and like you know how Apple does those ads where it's like those sort of silhouettes in color yeah, and stuff Yeah, and they'll like mention it's... some of like the new camera or something like that or the <laughs> yeah. new display and some bullshit iterative update that's that's come along and it's like oh it's now you know maybe 20 more pixels per inch yeah, or it's, it's not really revolutionary no, it's not usually revolutionary <laughs> at all. no and it's uh it's getting to the point where now it's like i'll i'll upgrade now because i have to replace the phone because my battery's crapping out on me yeah because lithium ion cells will only last about five years on the shelf before they will only hold about 70 percent of their charge mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. it'll just get worse from there until the point where they won't recharge anymore so it's it's you could say that it's a conspiracy for like built-in planned obsolescence, but I think it's just an inherent limitation of lithium technology. Yeah, like the, the battery. Like you're never going to find anything in today's day and age that can store so much energy and still weigh so little and take up so little space. You know? Yeah, yeah, and that makes <laughs> sense. And I just find too, like the phones eventually just get your your four year old phone will just get, eventually get too slow. Yeah, even if you like wipe it clean or whatever and <laughs> yeah and i think a lot of that i mean you could say it's a like a software thing that the manufacturers are putting it in there but i think it just has to do with the fact that the battery can't pull the same voltage right, that right. it used to the pressure just isn't there to push that electricity through like it was when the battery was new but we're kind of going off yeah. on a tangent here so let's yeah. talk a little bit about polarization and projection so who are we scapegoating and blaming and what are we not acknowledging within ourselves so this would be uh, what we talked a little bit about before with the projection uh, from Jung, where we take the least desirable aspects of our own personality and we project them onto other people and then attack those people for having those characteristics. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. hilarious when you see it in people that are so lacking in self-awareness that the mm-hmm. irony is completely lost on them. You know, mm-hmm. most people mm-hmm. will just get, you know, slightly annoyed when people cut them off in traffic, but then not notice when they cut other people off in traffic. But then then other times, like, you'll have people like AOC going on saying, oh, well, you know, all these Republicans just hate the poor and then advocating for socialism. You know (laughs) what I mean? Not realizing that all it's going to give the poor is a shallow grave. 
Yeah, yeah, not looking very far down the road. Yeah, like with with an, an ideology that's cost upwards of 250 million lives in the last hundred years, and that's not even mm. including war. <laughs> like it's, yeah, when know, we're when we're projecting the shadow, we're we're not acknowledging the very the thing that's not being really talked about a yeah. lot or something within ourselves that we're failing to acknowledge yeah. within ourselves, right? And, um, you know, even with this this last um, shooting that happened in New Zealand, I've just noticed, you know, so much back and forth between, like, Muslims and Christians. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know. I, I feel it's just another um, kind of event that can just get more people riled up, more people uh, resorting to, like, tribalism, yeah, essentially. A, it'd be called a flashpoint, and that's mm-hmm. what he wants. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, mm-hmm. do we want to let this asshole be the puppet master? I mean, come on. Like, at the end mm-hmm. of the day, what he wants is for the left to come out and say, well, look, here's another example of guns killing a bunch of people, so we're going to ban guns. And then the right is going to come back and say, well, yeah, but New Zealand has some of the most restrictive gun policies in the world. So it's almost like putting more laws in place isn't actually going to save lives, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And then the left is going to say, well, we don't want to think about it any further than that, so we're just going to come for your guns, and then the right's going to say, well, come and try. Right. And if the left is convinced enough that it can do that, and it wants to go to war over it, that, I think, is going to be the start of the downfall. Hmm. You know? Once they eventually say, well, we're just going to come and take your shit because, you know, we know what's best for you. We know what's best for society. And you're not allowed to defend yourself. By force. Yeah. Using guns, obviously. Which you would think that they would probably be against. Well, that's why (laughs) why gun control is such a retarded misnomer because you can't control guns without guns. You need to have guns in place in order to take the guns of Mm -hmm. other people. Mm -hmm. And if you somehow think that's a moral outcome, well, I think you should probably take a look in the mirror. Exactly. So, I mean, with the left blaming gun owners and saying, well, look at these lawful, law-abiding gun owners, uh, they're the problem, you know? I remember seeing, uh, it was a a meme that went out on Facebook, it was a a card, I guess it's a card you could leave at a business that was a gun-free zone. So you leave it in the door and say, I'm not patronizing your business because I can't come in here with my firearm. Now, Hmm. I have a concealed carry permit, which means you know I've passed a criminal background check. You know I'm a responsible person, otherwise they would I would lose my license. What do you know about your other customers? Hmm. You know, because mm-hmm. gun free zones don't make people safer. I mean, <laughs> where where are these mass shooters going to go? Mm-hmm. You think they're going to go to the the gun shows with all these armed <laughs> people? You think, you think they're going to go to the police and right. military conventions? No, they're going to go for the most undefended places they can find because yeah. they the, the most vulnerable. The most vulnerable because the, the thing that that causes the most casualties is the time between the shooting starting and that shooter encountering armed resistance. Mm. If that delay is very long, your body count is going to be really high. If that delay is really short, then your body count is lower. And even in this case, and one of the things that's escaping the leftist narrative is that there was a shooter that responded at the second mosque and fired back at this guy. Oh. Yeah, there was a good guy with a gun that stopped this shooting. Oh, I wonder why that escaped the mainstream media oh, narrative. That's very interesting. Well, this is not convenient, right? Because it's like, well, we're going to go after guns. It's like, yeah, but a gun stopped the shooting. Well, the gun started the shooting. It's like, you're kind of missing the point, right? Now, it was it was a human being who consciously chose to start the shooting. And it was another mm. human being that chose to stop it. Hmm. You know, And then it was the police with their guns that managed to arrest them. So it's like, how, how are you going to take guns out of this equation? You know, you can't put that genie back in the bottle. 
guns are here and they're here to stay. Like Brian May from Queen uh, said something really stupid on Twitter recently, <laughs> where he, he basically said like like here's a picture of of uh, one of the police and their assault rifles, and I think you know the gun. It's a you know it's an inherent symptom of our society's toxicity or some bullshit like that. I could pull it up, but I, I just I don't right. care that much. But it was one of these things where it's like, okay, well, you know, you realize your entire lifestyle is protected by guns, right? Like, you don't have armed security at your concerts. You know mm. what I mean? You don't have any armed <laughs> guards, anything like that. You, you completely yeah. ban any of that. Bullshit. Right, Bullshit. Right. You know, but that, that's that's what it is with these, like, idiot celebrities, right? They're sort of saying, yeah. you know, there's there's rules for you and there's rules for me. Yeah, yeah, another double standard. Yeah, like like politicians that sort of say, like, oh, well, you know, we have armed security, but, you know, that's just, you know, because we're... You know, we're politicians or whatever. It's like, well, it doesn't really give you any more right to self-defense. And, and a lot of those politicians, their security guards are carrying MP7s, which are fully automatic submachine guns. So it's like, okay, so you're allowed to have fully automatic weapons protecting you, but we can't have them protecting us. Uh, okay, I don't really see how that works, but you know, like, <laughs> I, guess, I guess you just know what's, know what's best for us, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and this is what's going to happen, right? When... When people decide that they know what's best for people, then if nobody pushes back against it and they just concede those rights, you don't get them back. Right. Not without violence. Right. Of course. Like once you give a power to the government, it's not like they're always they're just going to give it up down the road. That's going to be an exceedingly rare circumstance. First of all, because there's going to be other legislative priorities, and second of all, why would the state ever want to reduce its power? And they'll always want to try to do it in very small increments. Yeah, and that, that's what it is. It's like you get this close and stop and wait mm -hmm. until people get used to it, and then you take another step and you wait. Yeah, yeah. And, and eventually you realize you've been backed up, you know, 10 miles mm -hmm. from your original mm -hmm. starting position, and, and eventually you're going to realize that this isn't going to stop. They're never going to be like, mm -hmm. all right, that's enough. We've, we've had enough power. Right our, right, our thirst and yeah. will to power has been satiated. I, I just don't see that as being a realistic outcome. It's a very complex topic and not quite as clear-cut, I would no. say, as the media would... No, it definitely isn't, because it. if you look at it this way, it's like, do people have an inherent right to self-defense or not? And if the answer is no, it's like, okay, well, we can't really have a conversation. Because if you don't believe people have the right to defend themselves, well, it's like, well, why do animals have claws and teeth? Nature has given people the right to defend mm -hmm. themselves. It's, it's, just, mm -hmm. it's an inherent right. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... it's uh, it's part of who we are. But then if you do think we have a right to defend ourselves and it's like, okay, well then a gun is just a tool, you know, and it's the most effective. People might say, okay, well, why do people need an AR-15 to defend their house? Well, it's like, well, it's a very, very effective, easy to use weapons platform for a, a huge number of people. It has almost no recoil relative to a, I don't know, a 308 or something like that. It, it's very easy to fire rapidly and those bullets tumble when they hit walls. The truth is, we don't live in a completely safe society. There are no. people <laughs> out there who will be willing to steal or do whatever. Yeah, I mean, the evil is an inherent part of the world, and would would the good really be as good if there wasn't any evil to contrast it with? Mm -hmm. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Would you would you really appreciate the things in your life if you knew they were never going to go away? Hmm. Wouldn't you just take them all for granted? Sure. You know? Sure. <laughs> it's like people have forgotten all of a sudden that outside of this thin veneer we call civilization, the red-eyed wolves are stalking us. You know, they're, they're waiting for an opportunity to strike. You know, nature has been trying to kill us for all of human history, and we've lived so comfortably for the last couple hundred years that we've completely forgotten that the default mm. state is death, poverty, and suffering. 
Right. You know what I mean? It's only through the sacrifices that our ancestors made that we have what we have now. But I think they, especially in the last generation since World War II, there have been a lot of Faustian bargains. Hmm. Sort of saying, well, we want all this free shit, but we don't want to pay for it. <laughs> okay, so how do you how do you make that work? It's like, okay, well, we won't raise your taxes, so we'll just print the money and we'll borrow it. It's like, okay, so all the stuff you want now, you're just passing the bill on to your children and grandchildren. And devaluing the currency. And, yeah, completely debasing the currency. So it's like in 1996, $8,000 would have the power of what $1,000 would have had in 1960. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just currency debasement because yeah, I, I think there's a fundamental yeah. misunderstanding of what money is. Money is just a way of storing wealth, right? So if you devalue it, all the wealth you have stored in your money is gone. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's the most insidious form of tax because it attacks the poorest people. You know, right. we have taxes on the income we make. We have taxes on the things we buy. And, and inflation is a tax on the money we save. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's insidious. And, yeah, and it's all yeah. going to come crashing down because people have gotten used to a certain level of government entitlement programs, but nobody has any idea what anything costs. How much mm. do you think an x-ray costs? You have any idea? I don't. <laughs> Not sure. No? no, I mean, if I had to pay for it. You know, I like I had this experience when I, I just took our new dog to the vet um, where I could get, we have to get her spayed. So I could do it in a month for 400 bucks. Or I could go on the OSPCA wait list and do it in six months to a year for like a hundred bucks. You know wow. what I mean? So it's like we have a two-tier system. If you want to get the government-funded one, I mean, the, the quality is probably pretty comparable. I mean, the people doing these surgeries are probably just as competent. But there's a wait list because obviously the lower cost is creating a higher demand. Of course. So, so whatever you subsidize, you get more of. And whatever you tax, you get less of. Hmm. And this is going to be one of the things that I think is going to be fundamental to our downfall is for decades we've been subsidizing that which doesn't work and we've been taxing that which does work. Mm-hmm. And people have gotten used to this and have just accepted it as the way things are. You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Without really without considering... Realizing, without realizing it at all. Because it's like, okay, well, you want to have a great country for your kids to live in. Fine. How much debt do you think your kids are in right now? I'll give you a hint. If they're living in Ontario, from Ontario's debt alone, they're about $23,500 in debt. Hmm. From the moment they're born. Because of the money the government has chose to spend on their behalf. Wow. Yeah. So you have three kids, each one of them, 25000 28000 whatever it's going to be. I mean, the provincial debt right now yeah. is somewhere in the range of $312 billion. We're spending a billion dollars a month on the interest payments. A billion dollars a month could build a lot of hospitals. And that's not fair to the new generation. No, it's theft. It's intergenerational yeah. theft is what it is. Yeah. It's robbery. Awful. It's basically saying, we want a lot of nice free stuff now, so we're going to basically have our kids pay for it. Could you imagine going into a bank and saying, I'd like a credit card, <laughs> and I'm going to have my kids pay off in, in 60, 70 years? No bank would go for that. Yeah, yeah. And, and no parent would do that. It's... Right? But they don't, they're not realizing that that's exactly what they voted mm-hmm. for with these leftist policies. Where do you mm-hmm. think the money is coming from? Yeah, exactly. And uh, like, I think one of the key characteristics of being a human being is to forecast and also plan for the future, essentially. And if we value (laughs) our children and the next generation as much as we say we do, as we claim to, yeah, (laughs) then (laughs) we need to really, you know, have some integrity with those words. Yeah, and and stop doing really them such under- a disservice. Yeah, yeah, exactly. With all this nonsense. And, and, and what exactly are we getting in exchange for in, in, uh, in terms of our culture? We got shallow, destructive, and dece- deceitful aspects all over the place, like the garbage in movies, the garbage movies and TV shows, the biased media, 
and the, especially garbage music too. Oh yeah, <laughs> that, that too, and the and the sh- this shift to character or sorry charisma over character. So character doesn't matter. And I mean, you know what? To the to the public school's credit, they did push a lot of this character stuff in high school, but it was in that typical like government committee style, like let's like take a bunch of pictures of minority students and put them up on a poster and say, you know, character. It's like, do you remember that character matters from high school? Yeah, 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 I remember that slogan. Yeah, it's like, well, you know what? Maybe if you actually instilled some values and taught virtue, maybe that would yeah. be a natural consequence rather than just saying, this is the end result we want. Like, slogans. Right. <laughs> Mantras. Right. Virtue signaling. Virtue signaling, like... Uh, not virtue itself. No, not virtue itself. And, and that's a huge distinction. The distinction between virtue signaling and virtue, and this is a very important uh, mm-hmm. distinction you, you guys need to understand. And one of the things... With virtue signaling is is it, it's often done by people who have no skin in the game. It's like, oh, I love the poor because I vote for the politicians that solve that problem for me. It's like, no, that's not that's not virtuous at all. You couldn't give two shits about the poor. You know what I mean? Have you have you ever tried to help anybody? Like, if you've ever tried to help anybody with anything, you know how difficult it is. If you put time, money, energy, resources, and like emotion into trying to help somebody, you realize how difficult it is. Mm-hmm. These people mm-hmm. that just say, "Oh, we're just voting for government policies to do it." These people have no clue what they're talking about. Not a clue. It's like sharing a Facebook post yeah. about some kind. Yeah, yeah. It's like, something. "Oh, I'm gonna solve world problems by changing my, <laughs> my, my, my Facebook profile picture to include a flag or, or something like that." It's like, yeah, it's it's a nice sign of solidarity, but you know, it's, let's be honest, it's it's not really. It's ultimately shallow. It's it's shallow and, and feckless. <laughs> I think. Yeah, yeah. And, and I mean, even look at like the number of people that try to lose weight. Even look at just trying to help yourself. The only, you know the amount of people that enough. successfully try to lose weight and keep it <laughs> off. It's something like three percent. Oh yeah. So absolutely. so if you can't even help yourself with something you know is going to benefit you in the future and it'll make you feel better and all the benefits are there right mm-hmm. in front of you. Mm-hmm. If you can't even do it for yourself, what makes you think you can do it for someone else? And if you can't do it for someone else, what makes you think some unaccountable government bureaucracy is going to be able to do it on a massive scale? <laughs> it's absurd. But people don't want to think about these kind of things, right? Because it's like, well, I could think about charity or I could just have a government do it for me. And then I don't have to think mm. about it. And I can pretend I'm virtuous because I voted for the right people. Hmm. Now, hmm. I say piss off to that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. No, it, it's, sure. it's completely shallow and it's it's despicable. Yeah, and I just think, um, again, that we should really just think about, like, what our movies, our TV shows, and our music, like, what are they really, like, saying to us? Mm-hmm. Like, what what are they telling us about humanity? Are, are they really nihilistic about things? And uh, I just... There's just been a lot of ideologically infused media that's being produced. Yeah, like, you can never be... A happy woman, unless you pursue a high-power career. Hmm. If you, quote-unquote, waste your life becoming a mother, then you're just going to be unhappy and miserable. Except all of the evidence appears to be to the contrary. Where the women who have their children in their 20s, and they continue their career in their 30s and 40s and their kids are grown, they're doing great. Mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. But these women who chose to freeze their eggs and just go for their high-power career, by the time they're in their 30s and 40s, they're not doing so great. They are not getting the fulfillment they want from their career, and why would they? You think you can, I don't know, push a bunch of papers around and it's going to give you the same level of fulfillment as raising a child? One of the most important tasks a human being can give another human being? We need people in order to continue the species, and if we don't have mothers raising children, we're screwed. 
And complete families. And complete families, because there has to be a transition phase where a woman will take an embryo, turn it into an infant, turn that infant into a child, but then you have to have a man turn that child into an adult. And some people might be offended by that, and you know what, there are a lot of single mothers out there that are doing a great job, but I'm talking about generalities. And this is, this is another one of those IQ tests where if you talk about generalities and someone mentions a specific, they just don't know what the word tend means. Right. Right. Because right. it's like, well, here's this general pattern. It's like, well, here's one example that it doesn't fit that pattern. It's like, yeah, what's your point? <laughs> it's a general it's pattern. It's about a tendency. Yeah. Exactly. So, and this is the other thing, the degradation of motherhood combined with this degradation of fatherhood. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, well, men are just sperm donors. It's like, well, no. If you don't have men raising those kids, they're probably going to end up in prison. Look at the look at the prison population and how many of those kids were raised without a father. Right. It's like ninety percent. Yeah, and if you don't have, if you don't have your father around, there's a very high chance of you to get involved with gangs, drug use, other addictions. Because you too. need it's something been... to or, like orient yourself. Yeah, some right? structure. Some kind of structure, right? <laughs> and and it's it's one of those things that I think if if we don't have fatherhood sticking around and and putting in the time, you know, we're ne- we're never going to get out of this. People are going to be like you're you're competing with all these distractions. Mhm. Right? Mm-hmm. And uh yeah, the whole clean your room thing that Peterson talks about. Why is it that that has all of a sudden taken off? And it's like it's a cliche, but it's like it's a cliche that nobody's heard. In any serious way, where it's like, it, I think, I think maybe the way it is is because like when you're told clean your room by your parents, it's like, oh, well, they just want to have their house clean. And maybe that is the truth. But what Peterson is saying is like, no, you clean your room because it allows you to get a little bit of order in some area of your life that you can actually control. Yeah, he and has like sh- a psychological, metaphorical implication. Exactly. Because like your room can represent your psyche, essentially. Too. And it often does. Yeah. More yeah. often than I'd like to admit. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> and I'll... I'll say from my own personal experience, cleaning it up and ordering it, I actually feel a lot more better and calm in my room and good about it as well in general because there's some pride in that too. And it doesn't take that long, fundamentally. You spend half an hour putting things where they're supposed to go, vacuuming up, tidying things, dusting, and then look around and maybe reorganize things a bit. You can completely reshape that space. Mm -hmm, And and mm -hmm. when you're done... You know, like, you feel so much better. Like, my wife and I recently pulled out our closet doors and put hmm. up, like, a new curtain rod. Right. Instead of having the sliding doors that can only be open on one side at a yeah. time or the other. No, now it's all open. And nice. the room looks way bigger. Way um, more accessible. Yeah, but now we got the dog right in there, so it looks smaller again. But you know, <laughs> this is just the uh, the limitations that we, uh, we live under. But, uh... But also, yeah, I just wanted to say with fatherhood again, um... We're living in times with very high um, high rates of absent absent fathers, whether by by death or you know leaving the family or whatever. Mm-hmm. And um, the thing is, is that we need we need fatherhood. We all need mentors to provide us with valuable advice and wisdom and principles and virtue. And mm-hmm. I think that's one of the key cornerstones of of uh adult masculinity and not that and it's not that women can't do that but um they have a different role to play they have a different role to play these roles sure. are complementary and both of them are necessary yeah you know what exactly. i mean like if if say you were to have uh only a single father but he's trying to raise an infant he might not be able to give it that emotional connection that it needs and that could cause a problem later in life 
And the mother, if it's a single mother, she might be able to give that emotional connection, but she would never be able to teach to grow up properly. Mm-hmm. Obviously, there's exceptions, obviously. Yeah. That's, not, <laughs> that's not what we're talking about here. Uh, what we're talking about is the complementary nature of having both parents in the household, being able to provide both of those perspectives, because if we don't pass on our cultural values, where the hell are they going to come from? Like, if right now, this very second, every single person completely lost their memory as to where we all came from, and we just sort of mm. found ourselves just sitting around in this weird world full of tall buildings, and mm. we'd be gone in a generation. Because mm. nobody would have any idea how to maintain anything. You know? Right, It's right. like that movie Idiocracy. Yeah. Remember when they all starved to that because nobody remembers they have to water the plants? <laughs> it, it, it's it's like it's that it's, it would be that simple right it's if we don't pass yeah. on this cultural knowledge or if we replace the cultural knowledge with superficial nonsense that has absolutely no value it's like taking all the nutrition out of your food and replacing it with sawdust and expecting mm. to somehow survive on that right very yeah absolutely it, it's just not going to work so no, no. But, but i mean listen who, who is in 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 charge of passing on culture anybody Nobody, because if everybody's in charge of it, nobody is, you know, if, if we don't have, I guess, well, I guess, but the idea in Western tradition is like the father is supposed to represent culture, Yes. at least the positive father archetype. Yeah, absolutely. And there, there's a, there's a tyranny to that. And there's, there's as well, there's that positive aspect. So what the, the archetypal father would do would, by the time you get to be a teenager would start to say that drawing doesn't look like a cat. It looks like shit. You're not an artist. Do something else. Because if, if he didn't have that, you'd end up like those those poor idiots on American Idol who've never been told no in their life, don't realize they have no talent, and have been completely destroyed by their eatable mothers. Yeah, the father will, will um, provide honest feedback. Yeah, like and, that, and criticism. And criticism. Judgment. And judgment. And with combine that with the mother's emotional support, you could end up with a pretty well-rounded human being that has a good relationship with reality. Mm-hmm. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? If you have way too much tyranny or way too much support, you're not going to have a good relationship with no. reality at all. No, no, no. And that's going to come back to bite you in ways that you can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um... I think there's also an inherent lack of appreciation for what did come before us and where things used to be. You mm-hmm. know, we've inherited mm-hmm. cities, technologies, structures that keep us safe, ancestral sacrifice. I think this notion of sacrifice has been kind of denigrated these days. You know, now now it's not sacrifice that's held up on the altar of virtue, it's victimhood. Mm-hmm. Know, it's like, look, let's, let's hold up this person who's been screwed over by the most people and look to them as an example. Hmm. Like, that's a, that's a bad idea. Mm-hmm. We need to have sympathy for victims, real victims, but we don't need to elevate victimhood. No. You don't want there to be more victims, you want there to be less. Right? So if all of a sudden you're pouring all this attention, money, time, resources into victimhood, what do you think you're going to create more of? What more you, victims. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because like, look what happened with this Jesse Smollett case. And he's actually going back and like denying all of it. You know mm. what I mean? And it's like, yeah, maybe there are some, some angles they could go on. Maybe they could say the, the $3,500 check he paid to his two colleagues was actually for personal training. Maybe it was. I don't know. But it seems like the story is so full of holes... And he did try to go for the victim narrative before with that letter he sent himself. <laughs> who is, sorry, who is he? Okay, yeah. So Again? if you guys aren't familiar with the Jesse Smollett case, basically there's this, an actor on a show called Empire who started off wanting to, I guess, increase his footprint. And you know, most of this is just going to be my opinion. 
So, I mean, if I get the facts wrong, we'll come back and correct them later once the, uh, the trial's gone through. But mm. what it, it looks like he did was he cut out a bunch of letters from a magazine and then made a threatening letter to himself because only someone in Hollywood would actually think that's how a ransom note looks, which is hilarious. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, they just get typed up and printed out. But no, you got to cut out the letters of the magazine like the Joker. Like for the movie style, yeah. <laughs> comic book. <laughs> the comic book style. <laughs> and then apparently... Uh, and I don't know if this is true, but apparently the, uh, the magazines were actually still in his possession or in possession of the two other guys. Like they kept the magazines that they cut the letters out of. Now that's something I heard. I don't know if it's true because that seems to be Mm. so stupid beyond belief (laughs) that it's almost unbelievable. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And then what he did was when that didn't get the reaction he wanted, he went out, uh, at like two o'clock in the morning to a subway and his entire route is filmed on camera from security cameras. There's only 60 seconds missing. And in that 60 seconds, he was allegedly jumped by two white MAGA hat-wearing Trump supporters who oh. poured bleach on him and said, this is MAGA country. Without realizing that, of course, this is Chicago at 2 o'clock in the morning, and it's like freezing cold outside. So apparently there are just roving gangs of white supremacists in Chicago, of all places. So there wasn't any actual proof? No. Uh, there wasn't. He called the police uh, about 45 minutes after he got back to his apartment. He still managed to hang on to his Subway sandwich throughout the entire attack. Oh. And he still was wearing the noose when the police arrived. Okay. Because, you know, because that's what you do when you get, you know, almost choked to death. You just leave the noose on like a necktie. And you keep that Subway sandwich for dear life. you keep that damn Subway life. sandwich for dear life <laughs> while fighting off these other two guys. And I guess you just, like, wipe the bleach off or whatever else. And Oh. Yeah, so they had... Uh, security cameras of these two brothers going and buying all of the equipment like the noose and the bleach and the, the mega hats and you know, no other buffer mm. items just all the stuff they needed for the robbery in one shot it's all on tape and all this stuff so the police are basically saying uh yeah you're you're lying about all this so they they took it to a grand jury and the jury returned 16 indictable counts he's looking at up to 40 years in prison wow 40 years and I think that's a pretty just punishment. It's like, you're going to use the symbol of a noose, you're going to try to degrade the stories of actual victims of violence mm-hmm. in order to boost your own career? The guy's a sociopath. Yeah. I think I think he deserves to have the book thrown at him, if this is all true. Wow. Know, if somehow this nonsense story actually turns out to be correct, it's like, well, that, that kind of sucks for him, but I don't believe it for a second. Right. So you know it's like I mean? a false victimhood. Oh, yeah. Absolutely it is. I mean, he was he was showing the police where the cameras were. For the attack. But what he didn't realize mm. was the camera wasn't on, or it was facing the wrong direction. Yeah, it was facing the mm. wrong direction, and the police thought it was kind of weird that he would point out the camera where that would have filmed his own attack, because it seems way more premeditated. Hmm. Like, oh, okay, so you just conveniently got attacked in a place that would be filmed on a security camera. Oh, okay. Oh, sorry, it actually turns out that security camera wasn't pointing in this direction. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, so I guess... Uh, Sounds all very... Too convenient. Yeah, so this sure. this elevation of victimhood, I think, is going to be another one of the uh, the serious downfalls of our culture. Um, now, what about education? Well, it seems that uh, there's been a strong influence, at least when I went, and I think you can agree mm-hmm. as well, strong influence of socialism and communism in our universities, Yeah, which is... Uh, yeah, I think despicable it's, overall. I think it's subtle. Uh, like when I was in school, I was in school between 2004 and 2008. And when I was in school, I actually relegated most of that socialist crap to the basement. 
Mm. Like there was a certain like, section of campus. Literally. Where, yeah, literally they just <laughs> kind of just stuck it all in there. And right. all the other classes I had, like my philosophy class was excellent. I mean, they talked against all this socialist nonsense. So, I mean, there were people in the school that were still a lot against this. But then when I looked a few years after I graduated, now they're having all these like protests on campus and all this stuff. It seems like it, it completely went downhill after I left. Mm-hmm. Um, and just remember that um, when Peterson was visiting, I think, was it Brock? And they had like, they had these like protests going on and like, you know, they had the air horns while he was like speaking mm-hmm. and stuff and these nonsensical chats and yeah, the, uh, the tyranny of the shrill minority because <laughs> this is what the left does. I mean, the, the right says, here are our ideas. We're going to fight your ideas. And the left is just like, no, we're going to shut you down. Mm-hmm. So you don't mm-hmm. even want to fight the ideas. No, your ideas are hateful. We're shutting them down. It's like, well, if they're so bad, you could probably just debate them and prove how they're wrong, but they can't. So their only other option is to silence them. Mm-hmm. Now with, uh, with socialism, we knew under, uh, in the Stalinist regime, something like what, two and six people, one and three, they were informing for the government. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So someone in your family yeah. could be and, and, and this an was, informant. Yeah, exactly. And this is, uh, I think, something that they're pushing for now. is like, you know, the call-out culture and all this stuff. I mean, and look at how corrupt things got with uh, this recent education scandal with uh, that, that lady from Full House, where they're, they're oh. paying like upwards like half a million dollars to cheat their kids into school. Did oh, you, wow. you know what the? Did you not hear about this? No. Oh no. man, this was this was brutal. There was something like forty people arrested, like William H Macy and all these actors and celebrities who had bribed their their way to get their kids into like UCLA and Harvard oh. and Yale and all this stuff. Because what they would do is they would have like guys on the inside that would write the tests for them or adjust the scores or do all this to basically get them into school. And, and you know what the worst part is, <laughs> and this makes me laugh, is that none of these kids flunked out. Really? <laughs> Even though they were completely unqualified to be there, none of them flunked out. Because <laughs> because that's what academia has become. There is wow. no there is no rigorous test of your intellect anymore. You just hmm. gotta sit there and put up with it for four years and they'll give you a piece of paper that somehow means something. <laughs> Which means absolutely nothing now. Mm-hmm. Because anyone who has a university degree now, it means nothing. Because an employer is going to look at it and be like, well, I don't know if you bribed your way into school. I don't know if you were given certain concessions to take your tests in eight hours rather than 45 minutes in your own private little room. We don't know. It doesn't exactly tell you how intelligent no, you not are. Not at all. Not at all. It has, it has no meaning whatsoever anymore. It means you paid a bunch of money to go to a place for a time to get a thing. Which many people have done. Yeah. It's, the, it's basically it's not even the equivalent of a high school diploma. Like it's, <laughs> it's such a waste. It's such a scam. It used to be a lot more valuable, yeah. maybe and, with and our there parents' are obviously, generation. Yeah, and obviously, if you're going to go be a, like a brain surgeon or a rocket scientist or an engineer, you go to university. You're not going mm. to learn physics on YouTube. You might. <laughs> you, you, you might. I'm just saying, like, there are yeah. certain areas. Certain professions where you got to jump through the hoops. You, go you through need the hoops. that certification yeah. and you got to get that learn knowledge it through an institution. From yeah. the people who have that knowledge. Yeah. But it's also, uh, when you look at different types of learning... Uh, or different fields of academia, yeah. they don't really relate to one another at all. Like someone who's really good at physics, they couldn't tell you a thing about being a doctor mm-hmm. or a right. history buffer or anything like that. Like it's very, very specialized, which we need because this mm. division of labor is what allows us to spread out uh, and spread those services far and wide, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, I think, I don't know, maybe people are just giving too much credence to the university degree because it, it used to mean something that it no longer means, if that makes any sense. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it definitely has. Um, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Like, our parents told us to, to you know, really pushed it, and yeah. maybe it wasn't, but it didn't get the same, we didn't get the same outcome from it or the same benefits. Yeah, it used to be only something like 10% of society would go to university. Yeah, now it costs way more as well. Yeah, now the, <laughs> that's now the, the other problem. Are, but it's not like you're getting more professors. You're getting more administrators. You're getting yeah. czars of diversity, inclusivity, and... What was the other one? Diversity, inclusivity, and... Equality. Right, right, yeah. okay. So you got you got those kind of administrators basically saying, well, we got to make sure that there's all these uh, social patterns being followed, and uh, the, you know the Overton window cannot be violated. It's like, well, this has nothing to do with what academia is supposed to be for. You know, mm-hmm. if it's going to cost you, you know, $5,000 a year, which, I mean, like it doesn't cost as much as it does in the States, but our education is also heavily government subsidized. Hmm. Right, right. And, yeah. So it's, ba- it it's basically become meaningless. It's, it's a way of paying for your own indoctrination at this point. <laughs> or a way of paying for your children's mm-hmm. indoctrination. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, yeah. it, it's taken me quite a long time to unlearn a lot of the stuff I learned in university, but a lot mm-hmm. of the stuff I learned is still valuable. Like, the psychology, all that stuff is still fine. Mm-hmm. It's the politics. It's the culture. It's all that stuff. The social justice warrior nonsense that I've had to sort of unlearn and get out of. Because I, I hadn't realized how brainwashed I'd been. Because it's like, if, if you've been in school from the time you're five until the time you're, like, 23, <laughs> like, you're basically saying... Uh, we can't trust you enough to educate your own children. It has to be done by the state. Mm-hmm. But then we have people coming out of, you know, 12 years, 15 years, 20 years of government education, barely qualified to pour a coffee. Yeah. And I just wanted to mention too, like if you are th- thinking about going to university or it's being kind of pushed on you really, I'd say really think about it. If it's something you want to do mm-hmm. and if you're not, like whether you're just kind of serving your parents like wants yeah. that might not be your own cuz basically when i when i was doing it i didn't know what i was really going for in university so i just kind of kept going through it like i did i knew i wanted to do psychology and i i did that for a few years but was overall disappointed with the experience but Anyways, what I'm trying to say is maybe you might want to try some practical trade or something specific where you're actually going to get some, you know, workable skills for the workforce, essentially, rather than just just going for it just to get just to get through it. And that's an excellent point. I'm so glad you brought that up, because so much of what our generation was told was if you don't go to university, you're basically branding yourself a retard. Yeah, you're like it's, it's nothing. Only, it's only idiots that go into the trades. Yeah. And it's like, it's such a lie. It is mm. such a lie. I mean, look at look at the people that can buy a house in their mid-twenties. They're not people that went to university. Hell no. They're people that, that actually own their own business. That, that you know, do something like, I don't know, they paint houses. Or they, uh, they'll, they'll build foundations. Or they'll, they'll put up decks yeah, or fences. Contractors. Contractors. Or this is what we need. These are real skills. This mm-hmm. isn't a bunch of... I don't know, academics coming out of there and just intellectually masturbating <laughs> themselves for the rest of their lives yeah, with yeah, their yeah. own, you know, navel-gazing theories. Yeah. No, you want to get real skills. I am. I would never send my kids to university. Not unless they're paying for it themselves and not without an excellent end goal. Yeah. I mean, if it's yeah. their money, I don't care. They can throw it away if they want. But 
my problem would be sort of saying, okay, well, I'm going to go to university and find myself. It's like, no, you're going to go to university and you're going to party and you're going to have a good time and you're going to waste a ton of money doing nothing. You're going to come out of it. And here's the other thing, the opportunity cost of not earning any money for four years. I mean, mm. even, even if you even if you worked a job that you made like twenty, thirty thousand dollars a year, that's still a hundred grand mm-hmm. worth of revenue generated after four years versus four years of negative income, right? Because you still need to spend money to go uh, live somewhere. You still need food. You still need all these other things. So there's still expenses. But if you're going to school full time and you're not working to offset those expenses, you're going to end up in a lot of debt. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I managed to get out of four or five years with only about twelve thousand five hundred in debt. Nice. Which wasn't so bad. It took me a couple of years to pay it down, and now yeah. I'm out scot free. But I mean, there are people that are going to be paying off their student loans till they're in their seventies. Right, and that's yeah. <laughs> that's I think like it's a, a lot worse. In, a lot worse yeah. in the states when people are spending like their student loans are like one hundred and thirty thousand dollars. Wow. With with the, and that's for like an undergrad program, like your your baseline, not even grad school or PhD, like your baseline. Yeah, yeah. These debts in the states cannot be discharged through bankruptcy. Hmm. They're the only debt that can't be discharged through bankruptcy. And what does that tell you? It tells you that you are now a slave of the state. Wow. Your government has basically enslaved you with this this debt. And now you have to work for the rest of your life to pay it off at these exorbitant interest rates. With a and end up with a potentially useless and education. End up with a potentially useless quote, education. education yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. it's fraud, is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's sort of saying, Oh, come here and spend this amount of money and you'll have all these economic opportunities, and it's a lie. Mm-hmm. It is a lie. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a very, very specific goal, like I want to go be a marine biologist in this and that, and this is exactly how I have to get there, fine. We're not talking about you. <laughs> you know, we're, we're talking about the, I'm going to go study underwater basket weaving, and I'm, I'm going to find out who I truly am. And it's like, no, you're going to waste a ton of your money, a ton of your parents' money, and a ton of, well, I, I hate to use the phrase public money, because there's not really such a thing. There's only stolen money, but... Um, it's going to be a complete waste. So what I would, I suggest, and I think you're with me on this one is if you don't know what you want to do in university, don't go, go, go work somewhere, go work in another country. If you really want to get that experience, you're going to have a way better time. You're going to have way more experience in terms of like valuable work experience that you can use in the future. And you're going to have some cash in your find and find out more about yourself Absolutely, in your early twenties, late teens. Yeah. You're not going to know too much. Not a, not a thing. <laughs> I mean, you will feel like you know absolutely yeah. everything because yeah. you've reached the capacity of what your world can teach you at that stage. But once you actually yeah. go out into the world and start grinding your face up against the grind wheel of reality, you're going to know what you're made of. And yeah. And you're not, was... not going to find that at university when you're going to be basically, a, you're at a coddled daycare at these places. Yeah. Where not only are you not allowed to be exposed to, I like... Anything that's physically Uncom- harmful, but you're not even allowed to be exposed to ideas that you find uncomfortable. Like, mm-hmm. like if you think that's going to be the the crucible by which you rise from the ashes, no, you're mm-hmm. you're just going to become a an unsorted social justice type by the end of four years, and come so nihilistic and hating of reality that you know you may be borderline suicidal. So mm-hmm. I would completely mm-hmm. avoid that if you can. Figure out a life plan, and if you don't have one, go earn some cash, go make some relationships and go see the world mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know what i mean once Sound. you're once you're ready to form a plan and settle down you know get a plan together but at the end of the day if all you need is information all of the stuff that you can see in university lectures most of them are available online mm-hmm, so if you're really mm-hmm. getting a lot of good valuable information out of lectures well you can just watch them you can download them onto your phone and listen to them on your way to work yeah exactly you know I mean? like for, for me i have uh about 10 hours a week of commuting 
So that's 10 right. hours a week that I'm listening to history, philosophy, uh, all sorts of different podcasts on science, psychology. All, it's, it's my education mm-hmm. throughout the week. Mm-hmm. And that what that's something like, what, 50, 510 hours, 520 hours a year? <laughs> I don't even know if I went to class that much. <laughs> but, the amount, but the amount of that you can learn from the stuff that people are putting online for free, it's going to be way more valuable than anything you could find in a university lecture hall these days. Yeah, and see what you're naturally drawn towards. Yes, follow your curiosity. Do not follow your passion, Mm -hmm. because when was the last time following your passion ever got (laughs) you anywhere but in a ditch? (laughs) So, uh, if this game is in fact rigged, orient others towards meaningless pursuits. So what what are we doing here? Um, well, I mean, it's, uh, I guess it's a belief where... The system where you think you know the system oh, of life okay. is so rigged. If this it, game is rigged, then who cares? Let's just go do hedonism because yeah. there's no other reason not to. Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. This is a good more point. distractions, more distractions, more video games, pornography, anything that gives you a dopamine kick. Arguments on Facebook, social media, social media, yeah. yelling at people on Twitter. <laughs> like, trust me, if you guys are in this point and you're finding yourself getting really depressed, one of the things I would suggest you guys try is a dopamine cleanse. So what you want to do is try to prevent the release of dopamine in your brain at all costs for 24 hours. No no food. Okay. Only drink water. The only thing you can do is walk or sit quietly. No music. No people. No video games. No distractions. No electricity. None of this stuff. Complete sensory deprivation. Wow. Do this for 24 hours and see how you feel the next day. See if that adhedonia goes away. Where this thing that used to be super boring is now exciting again. Because now you'll actually get a dopamine kick out of it. Like, do you think you can hit the dopamine button over and over and over and over and over again and not have some kind of refractory period? Right. So unless you dive into that refractory period as hard as you can, you might not ever come back up. Hmm. You know? That's a, that's a really good good challenge. For yeah, sure. try it. it. 24 hours. It'll probably be the hardest thing. It's also a fast, right? Like, you're not eating anything either. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So your, your brain's going to be running wild. You won't know what to think of. You're going to try to find something to distract yourself, but the point is you can't. Mm-hmm. You can't distract mm-hmm. yourself. You have to sit there and deal with it. And then if you can do that for a day, you'll probably feel a little bit more on the level the next day. Hmm. And, wow. it, and, and if you can keep the distractions to a minimum that day, and then the next day you're going to feel even better. And maybe that then you can completely cut them out again and do another 24 hours. By the time the end of the week comes around, you're going to be feeling back to normal. You know, it's funny you mentioned this because, like, I've been using a lot of uh, dating apps mm. like Tinder and uh, OkCupid and Grindr? Plenty of Fish. Oh, wait, that's the... No. That's the... <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> that's the gay one, no. <laughs> Not that there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, no. <laughs> but anyways, like, I just realized, like, how addicted I am yeah. and... It's just the nature of like swiping left and right, I think, and also getting a match. Because when you get a match, that I think that's you get a pretty a dopamine big kick. dopamine kick ah. too. But then I wonder, like, I just I'm just wondering myself. Okay, I'm not getting too many matches, but I'm still automatically picking up my phone, opening these apps, oh, and man. going through it. I guess for the hope of yeah. uh, finding it. The anticipation. And, right? and in a way, I kind of hate it. Like I hate like this addiction in a way, but. Yeah, it's it's a, it's an interesting conflict. So yeah, like man, I, I I do that too. I mean, I I made the mistake of putting, uh, I guess my Facebook icon, 
right on that, like, the bottom row of my Android phone where, like, the oh, phone yeah. is, so it's, like, my primary go-to. Very accessible, yeah. Oh, man, like, I'll go on there and all of a sudden, like, I, I'm in a, a chat for, like, the, the town that I live in. So whenever there's drama going on in the town, like yeah. this person's like, man, I went to this one business and it was total shit. And then all these people come out like, hey, I've been there and it was fine. What the hell are you talking about? Who are you talking about? I'm just like, oh my God, this is amazing. Because <laughs> like, it, it's like, it's real drama and it's right in front of me and it's all actually right. people that live near me. So there's there's this weird addictive element to it. And yeah, I got I to gotta take it easy with that shit sometimes. Mm. I mean, I haven't had to go so far as to get one of those uh, app timer limitation things right. yeah. to keep that to a minimum. But Honestly, if, if we don't keep our, our dopamine secretions under control, we're going to be led along by the nose by whatever gives us the biggest kick. Mm-hmm. And, and a mm-hmm. lot of people say, oh, well, as long as I don't get addicted to cocaine or heroin, I'll be fine. It's like, well, do you think addiction doesn't apply to anything else? Oh, there's, there's anything, a wide array. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just do a, a brief breakdown of exactly how this works physically. There is a uh, connection in your brain known as the mesolimbic dopamine pathway that runs between the nucleus accumbens and the ventral tegmental area of your occipital cort- uh, sorry, your prefrontal cortex. And what this path is involved in is everything to do with reinforcement and pleasure. So it's basically like a highway that runs from the very middle of your brain, that base animal area, all the way up to the front and center where the executive function and planning portions go into play. And everything you do that you enjoy will set this thing off. A little bit, a little bit more. So you do, uh, you know, a line of cocaine, you go write your dissertation, you get married, you have your first child. All of these things are implicated in the mesolimbic dopamine pathway. Mm. So if you overstimulate this, it's just not going to respond as readily as it would mm-hmm. otherwise. So mm-hmm. if, say, for example, you know, you get a lot of, uh, you get a lot of pleasure out of creating music or writing poetry. Uh-huh. If you then go and do a bunch of cocaine, that stuff won't be able to compete. The cocaine hmm. will be way better. So the, the question isn't why do people do drugs? The right question is why are people doing drugs all of the time? Right, right. Right. So if you were to do that, the reason why that's so dangerous is because it completely destroys the pleasure you get from everything else in your life. Hmm. However, if you were to cut it out, go through that refractory period, then all of a sudden, oh, this stuff is now enjoyable again because it's giving me that little mm-hmm. kick. But if you don't guard this resource very carefully, your motivations can be easily manipulated by other people. And if it's overused, you're then screwed. It's, yeah. Not yeah. only is it going to be less enjoyable, everything else is going to be less enjoyable. So mm. I, I don't know. Maybe it's important to sort of have a certain time of the day, or maybe a time on the weekend, or I don't know, some other time of the, the week you can work out where you can just deprive yourself of all dopamine mm. stimulation to allow those levels to come back up. Do you know what I mean? I think that might be a, a healthy way for people to restore their sanity somewhat. Mm. Take some time with just yourself. No TV, no music, no podcasts. Just sit kind of in silence for a few minutes with your right. own thoughts. Right, right. With no stimulation. So that the next time you get stimulation, it's way stronger because you've been deprived for so long. Mm-hmm. And well, doesn't exercise stimulate your... Your dopamine levels in a way too. In a way, uh, I think. Or is that more? I think that that comes as a, the endorphins, like right. that runner's high that people get, and I think it's a way of dealing with the pain and the damage you cause your body when you exercise, mm. which you need to do in order to get stronger, right? Yeah. Like you yeah. have to injure yourself very slightly in order to, for those muscles to get bigger. Yeah. I mean, if you do it too much, obviously you get injured and you can't <laughs> work out and you're screwed. So don't do that. But yeah, I think balance, that, I think yeah. the idea of overtraining. it's if you think you're overtraining you're probably not it's either bad technique or you've injured yourself 
But the idea of being able to overtrain, like I, unless you're like working out like an Olympic athlete, I, mm. I just don't think that's a re- like a reasonable risk for most people. Okay. You know, okay. people can work out improperly and injure themselves, but I wouldn't consider that overtraining. Okay. Overtraining would be working out properly, 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 and then you start to see a decline in performance. Uh, but mm. to get to that point, like you got to be pushing it way beyond. You know, like a, yeah. was it uh, Jocko uh, and other Navy SEALs have talked about this when they go through Hell Week, and buds were. Um, people's belief about how far they can push themselves, uh, they think their max is somewhere around 40%. So when you think you're pushing to the absolute limit, you're only at about 40% of your actual capacity. Wow. Yeah. That's, wow. Uh, that's insane. Yeah. So if your life was on the line and you really had to push, yeah, there's still a lot of reserve in the tank, but the brain knows that it has to cut you off early in order to maintain that reserve. Hmm. Right. Like if you didn't if you didn't get tired when you were working out, and all of a sudden your muscles just fail, <laughs> like that would be a bad solution to an organism trying to get stronger, right? Mm-hmm. You'd want to have something that stops you before that point so that you don't injure yourself and you know basically become prey to whatever predator wants to take you out. So it's kind of like a regulating a regulator. mechanism in a way. Yeah, yeah. something that, it's like that uh, that thing you can set on your phone when you go over a certain level of data. You got that warn, and then you have yeah. a stop. Kind of thing. Okay. This there's, is a, there's it, a reason for that. There is, yeah. It's, it's a feature that Android has. No big deal. <laughs> nice. All uh, right, so we're anyway, going to go to our next Yeah, next topic, topic we got here is uh, our own lack of self-awareness and unsortedness uh, and a lack of care for our future self. Now, I guess one of the things that started turning me towards the more religious aspects or the spiritual aspects and away from our more secular or atheist things was this pervasive feeling that i was screaming at myself from the future through Mm. the sands of time to my current self and saying stop screwing around get yourself fixed up and and so you don't have to stupidly suffer so i don't have to stupidly (laughs) suffer in the future and it's a very weird feeling being yelled Mm. at by yourself in the future and I, i these are just the only words i can use to describe it well, I think you can come to that point, too, when you finally recognize, okay, things aren't going as good as they could be, yes. and I know there's a serious problem here, and I better I better reorient and fix whatever I can within myself, so... Yeah, and I think it's important to be conscious of that. Like, what is going to happen if you don't sort yourself out in the next five years? If all of your bad habits were to completely take over you, what would things look like? Be in a much worse yeah. place. You'd be in hell. You would be in hell. And, what if and that's were... one of the exercises Peterson yeah. uh, incorporates in his uh, past authoring um, suite, right? Yeah. Which reminds me, this would be a perfect segue to do like one of those uh, affiliate marketing things. Where, like, <laughs> yeah, use offer code Sorted Skeptics for twenty percent yeah. off your neck. Oh, one of these days, Tim, we're going to be pros. We'll have to uh, look into that for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's the future. This affiliate marketing thing. And anyways, we were talking about addiction, so it might be a good idea to take an inventory of what you're addicted to and just finally have it, you know, on a piece of paper or just so you're conscious of it at least, right? Because that's at least the first step to trying to control these things. Exactly. What is it that you miss doing when you're not doing it? Mm. Figure out what it is that's, that's controlling you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know what I mean? If you, or whether if, you're controlling it. Yeah. 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 And, and honestly, the, the fewer substances that control you, the better. You know what I mean? You're not really going to be at any sort of advantage by being, I guess, needing these substances, right? Mm-hmm. So if you have some kind of chemical dependency, that's a vulnerability. Mm-hmm. 
And you know, if, if that chemical ever becomes unavailable, you're going to be in a world of hurt, right? So it'd probably be better to lose that dependency. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. And um, like for me on a personal note, I've been tapering off um, an antidepressant called uh, Ciprolex, awesome. an SSRI. And, uh, you know, I've been feeling kind of irritated these last few weeks and that's part of one of the withdrawal systems yeah. and it just makes you wonder like what this stuff is really like actually you know doing to you and yeah. i know about that to a certain extent but I know that feeling, yeah. it kind of uh can you, freak you out in a way too do you right? feel yourself getting like irritable and some of the dark fantasies start running through the mind yeah, a little bit yeah about a little bit stuff you could do and stuff you could get away with <laughs> as a way of expressing and manifesting your anger yeah, I, I've yeah. had those thoughts too, and it's yeah. kind of terrifying. But mm -hmm. I also, when, you know how we talked about the shadow in the last episode, mm -hmm. well, or the couple episodes ago, well, that's one of those things where it's like the shadow needs to have a voice. Yeah, exactly, and that's why I started boxing classes, yeah. and it's been fantastic. Yeah, or somebody somebody cuts you off in traffic, and the shadow says, yo, we could probably kill that guy and get away with it. And you got to be like, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but that thought's still going to pop mm -hmm. up, right? And you got to hear it and be like, no. We're not going to do that. And the yeah. shadow will be like, eh, you're lost. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. That, or you could like express it. You could like express it by like swearing to yourself, maybe yeah. at least. So it has a little bit of an outlet. It gets a voice. But it has... it's acceptable yeah. at the time. Yeah, but with whereas... the, uh, that darkness has to have a seat at the table. Yeah, you know? exactly. If you, deny it it, to, yeah. if you deny it a seat at the table, it's just going to find another way of ruining your dinner party. Yeah, and it's going to... That was a good metaphor, Tim. Come on. <laughs> no, it's true. That's yeah. very good. Yeah, the uh, the shadow has to have a voice. It's going to... Let's say the um, the shadow will unconsciously force you to flip the dinner table yeah, exactly. over. exactly. <laughs> without you even knowing it until later on. Yeah, and we and we don't want to do that because other people want the dinner table to stay where it people is. People need to eat. Yeah, they need, they need order. Yeah. yeah. So when, to bring it back to our own lack of self-awareness... If you don't know where these feelings are coming from and you don't explore it, the next thing you're going to want to do is just to suppress the feelings. And that's where you start getting into the substance abuse, the distractions, the video games, the pornography, all these kind of things. Mm -hmm. And you know what? In and of themselves, probably not super harmful. Mm -hmm. But combined in aggregate and based on what the problem or based on the problem they're solving, it's a, it's a Band-Aid solution. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And exactly. this, is, this is one of the things that also kind of helped turn me over to the the more religious side i look at these religious people they don't drink they don't do drugs they don't play video games they don't watch pornography and they seem to be happy as happy yeah. as a pig and shit for, for lack of a better these term. people what, how, how did you possible? how did you pull that off yeah. they're like, oh well you know we, we just believe this and that and this is how we look at it was like what and you don't you, you don't need any drugs for that maybe, <laughs> maybe there's something to that tim i don't know like if, if they're able to, to get through all that on you know in their own heads Without any mm -hmm. external distraction, and they're still super happy. Like, I don't know why anyone would denigrate that. Like, that seems to be pretty enviable to me. Like, <laughs> yeah, no one really talks about that too. Yeah. Like, and the guy I remember, like the the straw mans that we used to get from other atheists in that community would sort of be like, "Oh, well, these people are just deluding themselves into happiness." It's like, well, they're still happier than you. <laughs> it's a vast oversimplification. Yeah, it's a vast over, and it's it's so sad too. Like, and they have community as well. Yeah, and their communities is... will last longer than secular communities, as history has demonstrated. I remember there was a study they did before where they looked at uh, communes, and they found mm. that secular communes you would last about three years before they would collapse. Religious communes about eight years. Hmm. That's a significant difference. 
You oh, know, yeah. And, that, and that, it is an isolation, but I think the idea of being able to bind a group of people to a certain set of moral matrices, rather than just a bunch of either material goods or intellectual constructs, it's probably going to be more effective. Here is some ideal that we're going to put up on the altar and say, if we all orient ourselves towards this, we can all walk in lockstep. Or reality's going to snap back yeah. like a rubber band. Like a rubber band. And you'll and, pay for it. And you're going to pay for it big time. Yeah. Um, but I think that also, like, the with this, this recent shooting and people going after the idea of thoughts and prayers again, which is kind of absurd because all the victims were in the middle of prayer, so they obviously mm. valued it, so denigrating prayer seems kind of stupid and callous at this point, but mm-hmm. I think it's also a fundamental lack of understanding of what prayer is. Because in the atheist community, and if, if you're religious, you, you might not be aware of why atheists find prayer to be so silly, because what they think you're doing is, in your own mind, rubbing the genie's lamp and asking God to grant you three wishes. That's what they think is going on, whereas they don't realize it, it's a way of communicating, or sorry, communing with a higher order principle, hmm. orienting yourself towards the good, spending some time right. to really think and reflect on how you could be a better person. Because right. it's not like there's any equivalent of that in the secular community. You know, it's not like anyone in the secular community spends Sunday morning going out and sitting with a bunch of other people, dressing up nicely, sitting politely, and talking about how they can be better. Hmm. Wow. There is nothing like that in the secular world. There's just virtue yeah. sitting on Twitter. Right? That, that's their equivalent, right? It's like, these are my valuable virtues, blah, blah, and they tweet it out, and yeah, it's like, no, yeah. that's not the same at all. Right, right, right. Because man can very easily fall in love with the product of his own intellect. Yes, exactly. Very dangerous, very unsorted. Yeah, and um, it kind of connects to with um, what you're you're promoting this idea of cutting our, ourselves off from like some of these distractions for a while. And I mm-hmm. think you know prayer may, might be a good way to good way to do it. Get in touch, yeah, with yourself, and also just uh, think about things that yeah you want to orient towards yourself. And have you um, heard of the term asceticism? Yeah. So an ascetic lifestyle would be like one of those, uh, that's sort of what we're talking about. Like those no dopamine stimulations whatsoever. Very, very mm. Spartan accommodations, simple garb, simple food, ascetic lifestyle. Yeah. So for them, if they were to eat an orange, it would probably be like the most amazing thing in the world because their yeah, other lifestyle yeah, is yeah, so yeah. bland and vanilla that, well, <laughs> vanilla would probably be a bit of a stretch because that's quite a delicacy <laughs> but think about it if imagine if you could get the same pleasure from an orange you could from sticking your face in a pile of scarface cocaine <laughs> wow could you imagine <laughs> but how would you get to that point you'd have to yeah. live a pretty ascetic lifestyle for that contrast but nobody's gonna do that honestly yeah and i probably wouldn't recommend that either because it seems a little on the extreme side to live that way but maybe maybe a, a vacation there for 24 hours or 48 mm. hours might be good for us in the same yeah. way, we go to a go to a spa to sit in really really hot water, followed by really really cold water, followed by a bunch of steam, followed by just hot air. All these different ways of opening and closing the pores. Yeah, you know, it's like that. Discipline. For the mind. It's discipline. Discipline, essentially. Yeah. And that's again, that's partly why I took the boxing classes because it's just it just came aware to me that I'm lacking that in certain ways, and I really need some sort of routine activity that mm. might even give some voice to the shadow even yeah get me in contact with other people meet other people and um and, and also, yeah provide uh some relaxation actually and you know get those endorphins. you know how much more relaxed you could feel if you had a conscious awareness that you could kill other people with your bare hands 
<laughs> Think about it. It's like, would you be sitting around all anxious and fearful for your life if you knew that mm. you got a pretty good chance of winning in a fight? Right, right. You probably feel a lot more relaxed. You, you, you feel think, a bit more secure Oh, yeah, yourself? absolutely. Like, if, like, if someone starts talking shit and, and trying to rile you up, it won't get a rise out of you. Because mm-hmm. why would it? It's like, what's this guy going to do? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But if, it's, if you think maybe he could beat you, maybe the fear starts to come up. Maybe the anxiety starts to come up. Maybe you start getting more reactive and defensive. But if you know this guy doesn't stand a chance, you'll probably just laugh and be kind of amused by it, right? So wouldn't that be a much better place to be for everybody? Yeah, yeah, rather than being yeah, yeah fearful and anxious. If, and... if everybody knew that nobody was a threat to them, mm-hmm. in the, not in the sense that they're harmless, but in the sense that they have a sword that is sheathed and that could be unsheathed at any, at any time, I think it would be a lot more relaxing for people. Mm-hmm. And this is another mm-hmm. thing that I want to point out as well about testosterone. A lot of times this this is a chemical that gets thrown around as being a chemical of aggression, where that's only a half-truth. People hmm. that have higher levels of testosterone tend to be a lot more calm. Oh. You know? I didn't know that. Yeah, they ta- tend to be a little bit more reflective. A little more... Uh, but it's, it's the... It's this dis- distinction where if you think strong men are, are terrifying, just wait till you encounter a weak one. <laughs> think about that. <laughs> weak men are going to be way more dangerous to you than strong men. Mm. Because strong men have no reason to harm you, because you're not a threat to them. But mm-hmm. a weak man, everyone's a threat to them. Yeah, yeah. So if my advice to men would be get strong, get really strong, and a lot of our problems are going to go away. You know. I think. Yeah. We're, we're, and besides, I mean, right now, I mean, the the way the the Pareto distribution works for mating is women are skimming off the top eighty percent. Now that's that's mm. what they're looking for, and right now, seventy eight percent of men in Canada aren't exercising. So wow. you, you start working out, you're already in the 80%. Nice. That's... That's all you have to do is just start exercising, and you're already in the top 20%. Yeah. That's it. Because when you look around at what your your male competition is, it's it's pretty sad a lot of times. You know, there's a lot of strong men out there, and, and a lot of them are, you know, already married, kids, good to go. But mm-hmm. there's also men that are in their 40s and 50s still complaining about the same shit they did in high school. <laughs> you know, and, and women aren't interested in that. Women aren't interested in victimhood. So yeah, they want guys who are going to do something yeah. about their problems. And, and here's another thing I want to point out about this, and, and this is directed more towards the, the male feminist types. Why you'd be listening to this podcast is completely beyond me. <laughs> but but to, to all the male feminists out there, women aren't that stupid. They see you as the sexual predators that you are. You know what I mean? You might think that, oh, I just support women's rights and, and all this. It's like, yeah, women don't buy it. You know? Hmm. And, and think about it this way. Um, if you were to say... Tell a woman, oh, I believe in the rights of all women. I want to have resources given to all women. A woman's going to say, okay, well, I'll just go find a man that'll just give them to me. Right? Because women don't want you to spread your resources around to other women. They want to bond with you. Right? So it would be like if a woman went around saying, oh, man, I love sex. A guy might be like, oh, sick. This is awesome. Maybe I'll get to have sex with this woman. Then she's like, I want to have sex with all of the men everywhere. And he's like, oh, well, this might not be a good long-term strategy. <laughs> in the short term, yeah, maybe. And it's the yeah. same. Flip it around with women. A woman will say, oh, this guy supports women's rights. That's awesome. I could probably get along with this guy in a conversation. But I'm probably not going to invest in him long-term because if mm. all women are the same, then I'm just as good as any other woman. So mm. unless you're willing to give a woman that specificity and that attention, she's going to have nothing to do with you. Mm. So wow. the, these male feminists that go around saying, oh, I, I just support the rights of all women. You realize the way women take that is either one, you're just trying to sleep with them and you're a sexual predator and you think they're stupid enough to believe it. 
or two, mm-hmm. the second that she invests in you, you're just going to go give uh, your resources to a woman who's more victimized. Mm. You know, in the same way a man wouldn't want to invest in a woman that's going to sleep around, a woman does not want to invest in a man who's going to spread his resources everywhere. Right? And that's the thing, women who actually did that <laughs> were ostracized from, like, the town. Yeah. And that and that's the mechanism we used to have. Yeah. To keep sexuality under control. Because this is a great relearning that we have to go through now. Because it's like, well, what happens if we just have unbridled sexuality? It's like, well, let's find out. Mm-hmm. And this is where we are. Mm-hmm. You know, we Ruins have, the ruin, bonding capabilities. Yeah. You, have, you have people that are completely incapable of bonding or pair bonding at this point because they, they've slept with so many people. Uh, and this is on the, the men and the women, but it's way worse for women. Because women have way more of a stake in their sexual selection than men do. Mm-hmm. And they also have a much shorter timeline. Mm-hmm. Wasn't Molly, you said the, uh, by the time a woman's 30, 80% of her eggs are gone. Wow. So these women that think that they can wait till they're 40 and 50, they're going to be in for a hell of a shock. And it's, it's tragic that they've been lied to like this. Right. And you don't want to be in a relationship where you're going to get cheated on because from my own experience, it really, really sucks. So yeah. be very careful who you're uh, engaging in a relationship with. Yeah, be selective and uh, and, and court for marriage, mm-hmm. I think, mm-hmm. is important. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. at the end of the day, if, if all you're looking for is a long-term or a short-term strategy, then you probably shouldn't be dating at all. You should probably be either hiring prostitutes because if all you're looking for is sex, why don't you just pay for it? And or just go to the the Tinder things and just do these shallow hookups, but also realize the price you're paying for that. Yeah, it's a steep price. Absolutely. So, did you want to go on to nihilism? Yeah. So nihilism. Skin. This is the idea that life and morals mean nothing. So right? there's no general grand narrative that let's say the Christian tradition yeah. would espouse. An idea of, you know, some truth that we can use to yeah, it, orient our lives towards and believe yeah. in something, yeah, essentially. Yeah. And you don't want to have this perspective where it's like, well, nothing's going to matter that I do in a million years. It's like, yeah, well, maybe not. But maybe that's probably the wrong time scale. <laughs> yeah, it's a little extreme. A little bit extreme. And it's like, if that's your, you know, if that's your perspective, it's like, well, what do you, what do, you do with yeah. that? Like, if, if you're convinced that the only meaningful actions are ones that are going to have an impact in a million years... Like, I couldn't even begin to conceive of what that would be outside of creating a new star. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not really relevant or applicable or practical at no. all. And it yeah. also seems to be kind of self-contradictory. Like, if nothing has any meaning over and above anything else, then, well, you know, what about pain? I think that's pretty real to a lot of these people. What was it Peterson says? Like, uh, you put a nail through their hand, they're going to think that's pretty real. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> so I think nihilism... It, it kind of results from, yeah, not having any uh, any meaning or even seeking any meaning in your life. Mm-hmm. And if, I think it can be a, um, let's say, a, a symptom of depression in a way, essentially. Yeah, I'd And, say that. you know, and I've been there, and it sucks. Mm-hmm. It sucks hard. Yeah. And the only way out is to find something i guess that you can cherish or that you value and work towards that and then establish a sense of meaning again in your life because there's no there's not really going to be any other way forward without mm. that you know it's interesting what i just that you mentioned that i just thought of something maybe depression it's a way of forcing us into that ascetic lifestyle because you know how that adhedonia that lack of pleasure from doing things pops up when you're depressed. Mm, mm. What if it just shut you down? 
so that you just stayed in bed for a day. Mm-hmm. Let those dopamine levels come back up so when you emerge back into the world, you can actually seek meaning. Hmm. That's interesting. Because think about it. If you, if you were nihilistic, like I've been there. Like I've been so depressed that like I can't do anything, right? Yeah, you don't we, want we've, to. We've both been there. So yeah. say, for example, you're like, okay, well, I need to play guitar in order to write a song so that I can you know, orient myself towards something more meaningful than just sitting here watching TV. Mm-hmm. Fine. But when you're depressed, you don't want to play guitar. Okay, so mm. maybe you take a couple days days off, let those dopamine levels come back up, and then when you do play guitar, at least it gives you an avenue out. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. That if you didn't take the time off, you wouldn't have had. Now, the threat here is engaging in those distractions and hedonism, because those will keep those dopamine levels low. Right? It's like, well, I, was, I almost had the dopamine levels necessary to pick up that guitar and write that solo, but I picked up the PlayStation controller instead. <laughs> and by the time I was done, I was so depleted, I just went to bed. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the next day, I was so depleted, I couldn't be bothered picking up the guitar, and I just picked up the, uh, you know, the controller again, took a break yeah. to watch some pornography, maybe go eat some junk food, uh, do some drugs, then go right back to it. And then the next day you're like, well, now I feel like shit. It's like, well, obviously you feel like shit. Not only is your brain chemistry totally depleted, but you also did nothing important with your life in the last 24 hours. Yeah, it can be a very vicious cycle unless very you change vicious. that routine. Yeah. yeah. And I think the only way to break it is to really sink into that depression and do nothing. And it takes time, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Which And it can feel a lot longer. Yeah. So if you were to take the time off to let those levels come back up, and then you were to do something that is meaningful like playing an instrument mm. or learning a language or something like that, and you also omit those dopamine-spiking distractions hmm. and allow those hmm. levels to come back up and focus what you're passionate on, something that, that's meaningful. Right, you right. And I, and I think this is going to be the only way that we can preserve what we, we have. Because at the end of the day, if all we're competing for is who's going to have the next best distraction, we're screwed. You know? Yeah. We're going to be out-competed by... Uh, societies that have some way of orienting themselves towards a higher purpose. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you've seen the Islamic uh, people moving into Europe. Mm-hmm. Europe has no defense because mm-hmm. they don't have any structure that gives them meaning. Hmm. The Islamists do. Hmm. The Islamists so. also don't drink. So they, their minds are more focused. They also have stable marriages and they have a lot of children. Hmm. So this is going to be a population replacement. Wow. And at this point, it's, it's hard for me to even say that that would be bad. You know what I mean? Hmm. If, if we get outcompeted, we get outcompeted. And I'm not sure there's anything we can do about that. Because if wow. our culture is degraded to the point where it can't even survive, what are we trying to save? What are we trying to save? What, what do conservatives want to conserve? The system we have now? The system we have now isn't working and is going to collapse. Oh, it sucks. Yeah. yeah. So there, there's no point in conserving that. And, and these other people have a system that's like, well, you know, we like to spend time with our families. We don't drink and we like to pray. It's like, well, that's mm. sort of like Christianity, but it's a right. little different. Right. So it's like if, if you feel threatened by that, and, you know, some people obviously feel threatened enough by it to go and shoot up a mosque, mm-hmm. then maybe we should start stepping up our own game. Absolutely. We, we don't need to attack other groups of people to preserve our own. No. Not at all. All we need to do is realize that we better start orienting ourselves towards something a little bit more meaningful than the Oscars. <laughs> or what's on, what's on CNN tonight. <laughs> or what's going on at the White House. Nobody cares. Yeah. Nobody should care. Yeah, yeah. 
you know, sure. at, least, at least relative to, you know, how you're doing, how your family's doing, how your, your community's doing. You know, these mm. things are far more important than worrying about what the Kardashians are doing. Within your own, yeah, sphere of influence, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Or watching some reality show about mob boss wives. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's we, like we crazy. Don't, yeah, we don't need a conspiracy theory to say, oh, well, there's some, you know, George Soros type who's in, like, putting all this distraction on us to destroy mm. our... It doesn't even need to be that way. We'll do this to ourselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We will do this to ourselves. Yeah. Because we're, it's basically the equivalent of cultural suicide is what wow. we're committing right now. This isn't cultural homicide from Muslims. Mm-hmm. You know, this isn't them coming in and saying we're taking over. We're, we're, no, the, the problem is, is we have no alternative to what they're saying. We have no way of basic, creating more meaning. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's we, very we, good could, point. We, could sort of, we could sort of commit this collective cultural suicide and just let everything go down the drain and, you know, come what may. But, but I, I don't think that's going to be a good idea. I think that's egregiously irresponsible to the sacrifices of the people that came before us. And mm. we have to acknowledge that we inhabit the corpse of our culture. You know, we wow. are responsible for revivifying it. And if we don't, well, I guess all we can do is sort of say, well, we tried. We, we spoke the truth as best we could. And now we can document the decline. Hmm. And I don't want it to get to that point, but it is rapidly getting to that point. Where, like, I, I've tried to just have conversations with people in my in my life, and a lot of people just couldn't care less. Wow. And that's... Just, just have the government solve it. Just, just you know, what, you hate poor people or something? Is it... Okay. No. <laughs> no! No, but... The... It's so, it's, yeah, it's misinterpreted a lot, for sure. We, we have a culture here that has produced the most, or the highest quality of life for the most amount of people, and you want to just let that die? That, that, seems, that seems pretty callous to me, you know? Mm-hmm. There are obviously mm-hmm. dead wood elements of our culture that need to be burned off if it's going to survive, and I guess part of me is thinking, well, do we let the whole thing burn and let certain parts regrow from the ashes, or do we just try to get rid of the bad parts and not have it die at all? I don't know what the better solution is going to be. Because hmm. if everything collapses, the dollar, the government, social cohesion, law and order, if everything breaks down, we go back to basics. Wow. So would you say at least one thing to do is have a strong connection with, let's say, the, the, the important things of the past, whether mm-hmm. it's in religion or culture yeah, or psychology right? or family values or yeah these things that orient us towards a meaningful life yeah that transcend our suffering yeah 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 but think about it what do we have now that transcends our suffering paxil zoloft Mm. tv used in higher rates social media the these are the things that we use to alleviate our suffering now and they're so shallow and so destructive that it's it's going to lead us down a very very bad path yeah, they're just more addictions. More sure. addictions, and and you're just giving and up your short-term band-aids. Yeah, you're giving up your freedom, right? Right. right. Like what was it uh, that quote from Molyneux before about people and taxes? Where it's like, it always amuses me how people are willing to give up a significant portion of their income, the lives of their children, and their freedoms in perpetuity, rather than having a conversation about how to fix potholes. Hmm. Wow. <laughs> Think about that. You know, where it's sort of and like, I gotta say, potholes are a pretty big problem, yeah, not they, just in the city. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, up here, you gotta you gotta watch out. You gotta know where they are, like uh, because yeah, they'll they'll pop your rim. Like uh, my wife had a lost a rim on a pothole a while ago because 
uh, I guess she hit it so hard it bent the rim, which allowed all the air to escape out of the tire. Mm. The tire actually survived, but the rim mm. was destroyed. That's how bad some of these potholes are. Mm-hmm. But I mean, look what Domino's did. You see, like, Domino's Pizza that went around some town in the States and, like, literally went around and fixed the potholes and put a big Domino's logo where they fixed? It's like, that's amazing. <laughs> really? It was, like a, it was like a libertarian wet dream. It was insane. Wow. That's actually pretty awesome. Because <laughs> it, it was such a, an effective meme, right? Where it's like, well, how are we going to fix the roads? And it's like, here's a private company fixing the roads, using their own profits to do it. And it's like, yeah. But it, here's the thing. I mean, it, it'll cost the government money to fix people's cars, Right, because we we actually build the town for the cost of the new rim, and they paid it. So it's like okay, okay well, the system has band aid solutions that kind of kind of work, but you know maybe we could figure out something better. For sure, I just wanted to say uh, one more counter argument to nihilism is: wouldn't you want to prove by the end of your life that you actually had some positive influence on your family members, your friends, mm-hmm. maybe your community? Or maybe even a bit further past that, you yeah, know, that would be like, nice. yeah. I mean, isn't that a pretty nice thing to strive for as maybe like a life objective and yeah. So, I mean, what else do you have to do that's better than that? <laughs> you have nothing better to do at all. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I mean, change my mind. It's like, okay, you want to go, I don't know, play a, some game. You're like, that's going to be more valuable. Like, come on. You know, Do you want to keep filling the void? Filling the with void. With these... Filling the potholes of your own soul. These... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. To, to segue back. Uh, so, so you're going to have a, a life that's filled with all these potholes and, and just ignore them? Or maybe just have your life be one big pothole? I, I guess that's kind of, a, kind of a drug reference as well. I, I think we're getting pretty good at this, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or you want to take some action and yeah. actually do something about it. Like, it's it's obviously tough in the beginning, but, you know, once you get started and gain that momentum, it does it does get better. And then one thing leads to the next, you know? And Yeah. Um, so I guess we want to do our last... Uh, Portion here. Yeah, closing uh, closing remarks. What do you think? Now, do we this uh, this could be a whole episode in and of itself, but uh, just segment. wanted to skim on <laughs> yeah <laughs> certain aspects of postmodernism, which again Peterson talked about, and he got me interested in this topic very much. And if you don't know about it, it's it's basically like a philosophy, but also a culture theory, and um, you could argue that. Around the time postmodernism essentially became a thing was when there was this art piece um, that was brought in. It's called Fountain by this artist named Duchamp. And it's basically this big urinal that was placed in an art museum. Oh, like modern art style? Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is this is postmodern art oh, now. God, <laughs> so in a way, like people have argued that this was kind of like a signifier of that. And essentially one interpretation of it is that, you know, art is something to be pissed on, <laughs> you know, and then yeah. with the art that has been created in the last century, maybe you could argue that. Yes. Yeah. Well, modern we've... art is basically worth being pissed on. And if you guys want to see a really savage takedown of modern art, go look at Paul Joseph Watson at Prison Planet mm. uh, for his takedown on the truth about modern art. And it's, it's so savage. Because it, it is, it's it's absolutely ridiculous. Like once somebody, like they just to test it out, they put their glasses on the floor, and they stood there and they looked at it, 
like like they were really contemplating. And a bunch of other people came around and they thought it was an exhibit. <laughs> or there was this other guy who was always like he'd have one hand on the wall and one hand on the floor and he'd always just take these different positions. It's it's completely uh, I guess self regarding navel gazing narcissistic mm. bullshit is what mm. modern art has become. It has there's no need for talent. There's no need for a message. There's no need for any transcendent archetypal themes. It's just whatever you feel like is art. Yeah, very chaotic stuff. And I guess when you say modern, you mean like the current. Yeah. The, yeah. What? What? Because modern is before, yeah, postmodernism too, right? I don't imagine the post makes it any better. <laughs> if modern art was bad, going beyond bad is going to just be worse. I think that's the definition of worse. Yeah, yeah, beyond yeah. <laughs> but anyway. What's hey, it, what's... If, sorry, I just wanted to say too, if you're interested about this topic, integral theory talks a lot about postmodernism and the positive and negative aspects about it. And um, like we mentioned before, there's an overemphasis on subjectivity. So an overemphasis, let's say my own like thoughts and feelings yeah. about something are the things that matter the most in the most extreme sense. <laughs> and we disregard objectivity. Complete disregard. Even science is oppressive according to, uh, you know, science is just a tool of the patriarchy and whatever. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. As I complain about it on my iPhone. <laughs> yeah, and the moral relativism and it leads to moral relativism too which uh is a very very awful thing in in yeah. most sense morality has to be objective otherwise morality ceases to have a meaning right if it's not an objective standard it's just a subjective preference then it can just be whatever then it's just whatever, whatever then it doesn't it have a meaning then it's like what do you mean when you say moral do you mean what do you prefer well why don't you just say what you prefer but anyway that will be uh, a subject for our next episode. I think a, a savage takedown of postmodernism might be uh, just what the doctor ordered. Yeah. Because I'm not sure if we've actually dove into that. And I'm sure that'll allow us to stay current with all the other stuff that's going on these days. Uh, but yeah. yeah, if you guys have any other questions or concerns, or I suppose if you have any corrections that you must absolutely voice in the comments below, please feel free to do so. But uh, anything else we want to go over this week, Tim? Well, I think we've we've covered a lot and we've gone pretty deep with this one. Yeah. So I'm uh, I'm pretty satisfied. Fair so. enough. Well, uh, thanks for taking the time to join us on this exploration today, everyone, and we will see you on the next episode.